Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name's Phil Whelans and on this week's Stop Hammer Time, how will social distancing make offside decisions? Will they be easier or more difficult with the players two metres apart from each other? Also, we've heard that the elderly and those with pre-existing health conditions are most vulnerable to this terrible disease and therefore concerns about Pablo Zabaleta and Jack Wilshire increase triple-fold. Here to discuss all of those, as usual, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. We're all social distancing. How are you doing? You're self-isolating. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back at virtual work now. Oh, so it's um, it's hard work, actually, in this distant learning. I'm having yeah. to do things like plan lessons that I've, I've never... That you don't normally do. Yeah. But I mean... Also with us this week, uh, we're very pleased to have them. It is, um, uh, we first met him on this podcast uh, years ago alongside Jeremy Nicholas because they were basically a double act of a stadium announcer and a stadio DJ. Uh, it's great to have him back. He is still the DJ at uh, the Thunderdome. It is, of course, Russ Budden. Russ, DJ Russy B, Budden. Hi, Russ. How are you doing? Very well, Phil. How are you? Good to see you back. You too. Good nice to see you nice back. Week. You have uh, dressed in one of the uh, one of the best kits of the last few years, the the Adidas uh, kit with the the sort of um, you know oh, sort of horizontal narrow horizontal stripes. It was a good mm. kit, that wasn't it? Yeah, it was a good good year. That was that was when we beat Tottenham uh, three yes, years away. Right. All very satisfying. Also joining us from Pacifica, California, it is uh, one of the founders of Fortune's Voice Fighting, possibly the greatest football fanzine of all time, uh, begun by himself, Phil Jupiter, Don Peretta, Joe Norris and Pete May. Uh, have I covered everyone? I believe I may have done. It is Steve Rapport. Hi, Steve. How are you? Oh, I can't hear. You've gone quiet. You've all gone quiet. We can't hear you. Oh, Leon, can can Steve be heard? Steve, speak again. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, there we are. Great, great. How are things over there? Pretty good, actually. It's uh, sunny, ocean, no football. We haven't lost a game in nearly two months. 
Steve, of course, was a uh, top-notch rock photographer, a rock journalist photographer, but is now a martial arts instructor. You have just been teaching a, uh, a Skype class. Uh, what, what was that in? Uh, that was Zoom. Uh, yeah, we do all Zoom classes oh, Zoom, now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was stretching class at lunchtime every day. In fact, my niece, Mad, who's a West Ham fan, she lives in London. She was in the class just now. And then a meditation class because... Um, uh, we've got this fucking up for president, so we have to meditate every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's almost compulsory now. And uh, then I have a, a fitness class at 6 and then a taekwondo class at 6.30. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday I watched the second of the Back to the Future films, which, due to uh, a kind of sliding doors moment in history, means that Biff, uh, who's a character from the first film, uh, becomes incredibly rich and powerful. And it is a huge deliberate allegory about the possibility of Donald Trump, uh, you know, attaining a position of power and responsibility. It's like... It's like a nightmarish dystopian vision rather than a kind of light comedy film. It's like a precursor of what's happening now and takes on the grimmest possible cast. It could be like a Tarkovsky film or something. It's really bleak. Uh, Yes, he is a massive fuck nut. So, um, yes... But, of course, there is no football uh, around at the moment. Uh, still talk about how they're going to finish this Premier League season. Um, what, what do we think is going to happen? What do we think is going to happen? Or the last thing they can possibly... The, the, the last shackle to come off uh, these the, the measures for uh, coronavirus will be groups of tens of thousands of people going to one place to do an activity. It's just got to be the last thing that will happen. So if they're going to finish this season, it's going to be sort of behind closed doors or something. What do we think? Russ, what do you reckon? I think it. I think it. I think it will be behind closed doors. I think there's, you know, the fact is there's there's so much money in the game and so much they could have to give back to Sky and BT. They have to play the games. I think. Um, yeah. You know. Um, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know you look at the was it the uh, Bundesliga? They're starting two weeks time, something like that. Um, apparently, same Serie A as well. So I think everyone will watch that and see how they get on, and then and then move on. But um, yeah. I think I read today Rush Green's open now for individual players to to warm to, to train. But yeah, yeah, wow, beauty um, Phil. Yeah, yeah. It would be great for them to have some kind of, uh, some kind of like, you know, in, um, you know, in Enter the Dragon, where uh, there's that martial arts tournament on some like volcanic island and everyone's flowing. <laughs> it'd be great if there was, they found some island that all the Premier League teams go to and have a kind of Lord of the Flies or Battle Royale type sort of thing. Um uh, to, to uh, sort out, sort out that, to, to have some kind of tournament. That's what they tried. Thing. I haven't understood why someone hasn't done like FIFA FIFA 2020 live football regular times like 3 p.m. Saturday. Yeah, it's yeah. live, 90 minutes. Each team has their best, you know, gamer representing the team. Yeah, you know, the manager picks the team, and those are the results. And then everyone would watch that live on telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of footballers have got nothing to do when they're not training, so a lot of them are probably really good at FIFA, aren't they? It's like, you know, you imagine like Antonio's probably quite good at it and we send him out to sort of play, you know, 
someone from Southampton, Nathan Redmond from Southampton versus <laughs> they have been doing Antonio. It. So they, they did they did the uh, West Ham was it West Ham Tottenham? Antonio was playing Sessignon and they they both teams live streamed it and uh, I think the loser had to wear the other team's top. Oh, I think yeah. Yeah, so they have done it, and you know, Formula One have done virtual, you know, Grand Prix and stuff. And um, uh, but the, I mean, the, the best one for me is the darts. You know, blokes used to be playing darts in their house <laughs> and live streaming. It's absolutely brilliant, but it's perfect. But uh, um, when you said about the, um, the 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 island, that's what Dana White tried to do at the UFC. Um, he tried to buy or rent an island to host the latest UFC um, exhibition matches, but unfortunately, it was um, it was too expensive. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'd be able to get Jersey fairly cheap. <laughs> Must be able to, surely. surely. <laughs> the Isle of Man. Like that? The Isle of Man. Three legs. The Isle of Man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's probably still a lot of Nazi gold buried on uh, the Isle of Man, isn't it? Plus, there's an extra leg for any team who needs one. It's true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, are you, uh, are you missing the football over there, Steve? Oh, uh, no. And what are they doing about their sports? <laughs> uh, nothing. Same, yeah, same as here. Uh, it's just, just, just bizarre. Um, I'm not missing the football because we haven't lost for two months, and that's the first time I can remember that happening in a yeah. long time. Yeah. No, we definitely. When that first game got, uh, well, we had that game moved because of City's um, commitments to that cup didn't we so that got moved and i thought oh good we don't have to play that for a while and then we had two difficult fixtures uh wolves and spurs called off and i was thinking this is great uh now everyone will have had the same sort of length of rest and it won't benefit us anymore didn't the city game get moved for some for, for a storm or something was it with the bad weather yeah. it's a stormy sunday yeah was it Oh yeah, that's right. The yeah. boats, yeah, because we were going to go. We were going to be able to go because it was going to be on a Sunday for some reason. I couldn't go that Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And then we went on the. That's right. It got moved to that second date because of they they were in a final of something, weren't they? Some weird. Yeah, anyway. it was a three leg final. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, the Isle of Man. Yeah, <laughs> Isle of Man obviously. Yeah, yeah. Home away and Isle of Man. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one thing, uh, one thing we've been doing over these last uh, few uh, podcasts is uh, our good friend Rob Banks has been uh, digitising and sticking up the uh, end of season reviews. Uh, we were sort of going through uh, uh, because obviously it's the, the the first one in this since this lockdown that he put up was uh, our first season back after. Um, uh, the boys of '86, and what's gone up gone up lately is Macari's uh, Lou Macari's season, and I sort of watched all of those highlights today. And of course, this is sort of uh, roughly the yo-yo years from kind of '89 to '93. That is Fortune's Always Hiding's the entire period they carved out. It's funny because obviously, uh, when a team's doing well. Um, it's fun for everyone, but also that during dark days, Fortunes was really excavating some pretty black comedy. Yeah, that's a nightmare right. On nightmare Green on Green Street. Street. Yeah, yeah. John Lyle, Mickey Mouse wearing a John Lyle watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's extraordinary. But um, watching those uh, highlights of the eighty-nine of the eighty-nine season, it's like it's a good team. It starts off and. Um, 
Brady plays a, quite a lot in that season. Ward's there. Paris is there. Keane is really good. And, and actually, for that for me was after, you know, college and stuff. I went a few times... Well, I went a few times throughout college, but I went quite a few times in 88 because I remember seeing Paul Ince a fair bit. 89, we were going quite a lot, weren't we, Jim? Going yeah. And that team was a good outfit. It was sort of a little... It's strange that it underperformed so badly. It got caught out by injuries to some key players in the defence and, and the backup central defence was horrendous. A different a different set of players ran out every single week. That was part of the thing for me. Was was they just couldn't? Because Slater, I think he's he he scores on his you know home debut. Well, the the first game of that season, uh, um, and he was playing every game when he was fit. But he played for two games and then wasn't there for two games and then played yeah, another two and then yeah, wasn't yeah. there again. You know, um, and that was true of. Quite a lot of players. You know, Dolan had been at the club for years, but we'd barely ever seen him. And that season he played the majority of his still quite small number of games for us. We had a very unkind cartoon of Eamon Dolan um, that, that Porky did, Phil Jupiter just did. It was uh, Eamon Donkey Dolan. Yeah. He was actually a donkey in the cartoon, which was very unfair, really. Well, he had a celebration, didn't he, that... Some kind of donkey celebration, yeah. It was very, yeah. It was a sort of Irish dancey jig type celebration that was <laughs> ill judged. I, I was a bit of an outlier, Macari, because I actually, I actually liked Macari as a manager. No one else did, I think. Um, and the players, from what I can remember, the players didn't like him and they wouldn't do what he said because he wanted them to train hard, and they didn't feel that was their responsibility. Um, so yeah. he was. He, he was trying to get us, you know, to be more professional. And I think they didn't really, they weren't really interested. But I think he had yeah, good ideas yeah. and, and he just wasn't well, popular. Well, his, um, his legacy signings were good. You know, McCloskey and Bishop and Morley, you know. Um, that, that sort of, yeah, that, yeah, that sort of sense in which, um, you know, if he had stayed and things had been, had been different, you know, he might have eventually kind of bent them to his will. And, uh he, he seemed to have an eye for a player in the transfer market. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, if he took over in the summer, I think that means he will have bought Martin Allen as well, unless he came in right at the end of Lyle. Oh. Actually, when we had yeah, Allen on, because that's his, that's his debut season, Martin Allen. But I think... I think he came he, a bit he, later. Sorry? I think he came a bit later on, didn't he? In no, the it's that season. Oh, right. But I thought it was later in that season, wasn't it? I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it is. Maybe it was. He starts playing from the word go, more or less, in that okay. I might be wrong, but um, that was a good, you know. I mean, we were, um, we had a catastrophic period where we fell away, but basically we were trying to challenge to get out of the division. And it's not like we were in the bottom half the whole season. We were in the top half of for most of that season. We just didn't get a relegation place. We had a horrible run <clears throat> at the sort of time Macari was fired. We were in a really bad run. Then his kind of slightly criminal behaviour at Swindon came to light. And basically the whole thing came together in a massive clusterfuck of, yeah. you know, probably some bad injuries as well. And also it... it 
they turned over quite a lot of the side. Like Morley and Bishop came straight in um, and uh, Jimmy the Tree Quinn. Yeah. So actually the the side had a massive turnover that was possibly a bit too much because it needed too long to bed in, you know. Um, but I think we finished quite strongly, didn't we, that season? Because obviously uh, Bonzo had taken over. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to remember the back end. It went in about February. Macari went in about February. Yeah, Okay. So McCosco didn't, didn't actually play a game whilst he was still manager, did he? Because there, there was a big wrangle to get McCosco's work permit sorted out, wasn't there? Yeah, well, we had to sign... Um, Parks got injured and we didn't seem to have a backup goalkeeper because we got a loner from, like, Palace or somewhere for, for a couple of games. Uh, and then we bought McCosco sort of in what would have been, you know, what is now the winter transfer window, but just happened yeah. to be winter. Um, yeah. But I it was... Um, back then, I always thought it was the, the manager who was responsible for how shit we were. And we always had the wrong manager, so Lyle had to go, and then Bonds just wasn't dynamic enough and had to go, and on and on and on and on. And it eventually dawned on me that we're just a really shit club. And it's, it's, re it's really not the manager, it's the... Um, the zeitgeist at the club, there's something about, you know, the underachievement and the lack of achievement, no matter what players we have and no matter what manager we have, because it seems to be a, a cycle that's repeated over and over again, even when we sign a really good manager. You know, we've had, yeah. we've had two really good managers and maybe they're just not that good at managing clubs that don't have top players. No. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's been a we talked about this kind of you know a uh, couple of times recently that there's been at crucial points a failure um, of, of sort of leadership and vision at, at kind of board level, um, and it's not just the current lot; it's, it goes way back, and a failure to build and capitalise on 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 good times. You know, so you know when we've had strong teams and players coming through from the academy and, and and it looks as though it's all kind of moving coming together there's been complacency about that you know and, and people who've run the club have had a, a an attitude which which is well oh things are all right now um, rather than sort of saying you know like kind of now we're 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 we've had a decent season a couple of really you know let's let's splash some cash and speculate to accumulate and that's never happened and you can point to the kind of mid-60s you can look at the 85-86 season and the failure to, you know, we're, we're talking about a team now, weren't we, that, that three or four years before had been challenging for the title. And yeah. Then, um, same thing happened again when, when Redknapp eventually kind of stabilised things and built a decent team and we had the golden generation coming through. They sell the prize asset, you know, um, in Ferdinand. What happened with that team was criminal. Going down with those yeah. players. yeah. Yeah, well, even, well, even getting rid of Redknapp and not replacing him with a good manager, we, you know, with, with I mean, you know, uh, 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 the feeling I had a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach when I heard that Rhoda had been appointed manager, and, and, and he is a decent man, I think, but and, and a bold account's a good coach, but just you know, if, if you're going to get rid of Redknapp who built that team, you had to you had there had to be a step up appointment, didn't there? At that point, everyone yeah. could do that. Um, so, you know, yeah, and I think you're right. Sir. I think that's in the somehow that just seems to be in the water. You know, that's just kind of the kind of tradition of the way the club is run. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's a sort of much reviled figure now, but we were talking a little bit about Paul Lintz uh, last week, who, when um, sort of Bonzo sort of finally hung his boots up, uh, and after the 86 season... Ince was that sort of natural successor. He was a kind of dynamic, quite powerful, hard-working midfielder. And we almost, the club almost let him down with that, by not strengthening around him so that we get relegated. And he goes, well, I can go and play for Manchester United uh, or I could go and play in the second flight of football with a team that's gone, you know, worse, worse and worse after a third place finish until it's relegated, you know, um, and we, you know, we lost him because we didn't do enough to keep him by making the team good, you know, um, uh, because if we just put a few people kind of in front of him, we might have had a good sort of side. Yeah, it is, it is, it is you know, sort of in the culture of the team, you know. It was uh, Ambrose Mendy, the uh, Spengali hands of Ambrose Mendy, his manager behind getting him in that Man United shirt for the Daily Mirror, I think, that photo. And um, funny story, I played in a, a charity five-a-side football tournament once at so QPR at Loftus Road uh, on the on the shitty pitch. And um, I was playing for a team with a bunch of West Ham fans, including Glenn Murphy from London's Burning. And Ambrose Mendy was playing, I think, for the Arsenal team. I think it was Tom Watts' team. And I think uh, Ambrose Mendy fouled Glenn Murphy and he didn't like that, and he and he actually punched Ambrose Mendy in the face, and that was one of the most satisfying moments. I've had. <laughs> what a what a heartwarming story that was of a, of a delightful time in the club's history. Um, with that, we'll just take a brief uh, commercial break, and we we'll join you after this. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Um... On Facebook uh, the other day, I discovered a, a Facebook page that's entirely devoted to uh, 1970s football. Uh, and this was more or less at the time that uh, uh, Norman Bites Your Head, uh, Bites Your Head, Bites Your Legs Hunter uh, died. So it all seemed very appropriate in the 1970s yeah. were back. Um, have you seen, has anyone seen this page? It's all basically pictures of Ron Harris and Alan Hudson. And oh, I haven't Hall. seen it, no. Malcolm McDonald and people like that. Um, but there was a sort of thread on it about uh, songs turned into football chants. And uh, it's quite an interesting thing about the Chicory Tip song, uh, which we all know as uh, Oh, Billy, 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 Billy Bonds. Um, but a lot of clubs claimed it for their own, uh, one of which was QPR. 
who said it was for Rodney Marsh, and they reckon that they came up with it for Rodney right. Marsh. But that seems really unlikely to me. Yeah. Because it feels like Billy, 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 Billy sort of suits that thing better than Rodney, 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 Rodney. Rodney. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like that would really, that would really go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I was wondering about, I was sort of wondering about that. I, I assumed we were first with the, uh, it's Son of My Father, isn't it, by Chicory Tick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sort of thought we were the first to that one. Yeah, we were definitely the first. You reckon? Yeah, of course we were. <laughs> so that thing, who, who was the Dimitri Payet song, which is Achy Breaky Heart, isn't it? Yeah. Um, who was that about? That was another club about one of their players before we... It, was it Arsenal? Was it Arsenal and Ozil? Or did they do it after us? I can't remember exactly. Ah, yeah. Yes, it could have been Meza Ozil at Arsenal. Yes, yes. And we appropriated it. Um, Improved, I, I would say. Sorry? Improved it, I would say. Indeed. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's not, because Ozil's not consistent enough to have a song. Uh, they would start <laughs> singing that song and then he'd do something shit while they were actually singing the song <laughs> they would have to stop. Or switch to a song about a shit player that they don't like. Um I was thinking, when I was thinking about these songs, that that um, uh, Everywhere We Go song, which a lot of clubs seem to be using now, I actually don't know what the source material is for that song. Does anyone know what that is? Yeah, I wondered that. I don't know. Yeah. Nope. Um, Do you remember um, the Charlie Nicholas song that we used to sing? What was that? Well, there was this one time when Arsenal were playing at West Ham and, and uh, someone was injured. And Nicholas, Charlie Nicholas was staying on the half, standing on the halfway line and the whole ground was singing, Nicholas, Nicholas, Charlie Nicholas, he gets the ball, he does fuck all, Charlie Nicholas. Yeah, and yeah. I think he started crying. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. almost in tears actually remembering it. It was, it was very sad. <laughs> um, that's been sung about a few players, hasn't it? The gets the ball and does fuck all song. Who else not tears, though. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, who was that lone striker we had? Mike Newell. I remember it, he wasn't being sung about, but he was being, he was just stepping on the ball, falling over, having a real nightmare game. And he was really getting a kind of barracking from the fans. And it sort of seared on my memory, him turning around and shouting at the crowd, I'm trying! <laughs> <laughs> which was just the most sort of petulant thing I've sort of seen a footballer do. Yeah. Um, there was that time when De Canio was managing at Sunderland where I think they'd had a poor performance. The crowd were really booing at the end. And he sort of went on the pitch and just tried to um, have a dialogue with like sort of, 10,000 people in one stand of the ground, just like <laughs> shouting at them, sort of, in, you know, quite long sentence, quite a monologue at them. But of course, none of them can hear because he's standing like a long way away from them, just monologuing at them. And that was a very in strange... Italian. Yeah, in Italian. Yeah, exactly. It was a strange, strange, petulant uh, time. Did you read that interview with him last week or the week before? No fantastic interview someone put up on facebook 
He uh, did you see his ball juggling whilst singing "I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles" isolation vid? That's yes. God bless. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, he's wearing quite a good uh, vintage sort of early 60s shirt or maybe even very late 50s. I remember seeing Bobby Moore in that shirt and uh, ball juggling whilst singing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles (laughs) in in the shorts of a much smaller man than him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, But yes, I'm wondering whether we whether there were any uh, any ones that we made up songs that then other teams might have kind of uh, uh, used. Obviously, that um, the Zamora, that was in the kind of public domain anyway, mm. wasn't it? I think uh, so, what, yeah. That Amore song, we probably didn't, you know. Um, there's, and, there's, the, um, there's the one which, which sort of sort of started but it hasn't really sort of taken off loads there was the lanzini song to the uh ain't nobody like lanzini yeah 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 that's, that's i love that one but it just hasn't got enough grand swell of of you know sort of uh, you know dimitri payet type song yet no. it's brilliant well that's he brilliant. kept getting injured so people had to learn the tricks again <laughs> <laughs> he'd go missing for like three months with a dislocated shoulder or a ruptured cruciate knee ligament to come back and everyone had to learn the lyrics again yeah, and exactly. try and get it going yeah what happened to him i mean i know he was injured and everything but what happened to him as a player just yeah, well, yeah his form has just fallen off a cliff hasn't it yeah, you, I mean, it's if... just you know alarming really you should, you should follow which, his, you know, follow his, uh, follow his, his, um, his Instagram, um, and he's got a lovely apartment, lovely top, top floor apartment. He's doing kickups on and stuff. It's lovely, um, yeah. and he's bleached his hair as well. So um, that's all good then. Yeah, yeah, all going well for him. God knows what they're going to be like when they get back, <laughs> get back to training. They'll all have crew cuts. Yeah, our old Sunday league teams. Do you think any of them have been doing like self-improving things? While no. Well, do, you, do you think kind of you know Snodgrass might have been might have been you know learning the bagpipes or something like that, <laughs> or you know so any of them doing some some craft? You know? <laughs> no, they'll come back and they'll be like eleven blokes from the pub. You know, like the pub teams that would play the Sunday leagues. Yeah. If, you play, if you play Saturday football, those are really serious footballers, right? But if you play Sunday league, you go to the game on Saturday, so you couldn't play Saturday. Sunday was all the blokes who went to the pub on Saturday night, got tanked up, and then they come and play on Sunday, and there'd always be fights and everything. I'd like to think they'd be doing sort of more, like maybe Mark Noble's kind of like knitting PPE for the NHS or something like that. So I felt really bad for Mark Noble this morning. What, up this morning? Well, well, the thing about all those tweets from, from the Orange Menace about, about the Nobel Prize. And, oh, yeah. and he, he kept going on and on and on about this Nobel Prize and that um, <laughs> they should give back the Nobel Prizes. And then I'm thinking of Mark Noble getting up this morning and thinking, I can't even remember how you spell my fucking name anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Is it Mark Noble? Mark Nobel? Mark, I'm so confused right now. I don't yeah. even know what that is. Yeah. Yeah, to discover that he's trending on Twitter because of <laughs> remarks from the president. Yeah, yeah he'll probably be known as Mark Nobel from now on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, God knows what they're going to be like. Why do you think? Because there was 
we're talking about sort of once, you know, once they decide that they can play again, they won't be able to play straight away. They'll need three se- three weeks of pre-season or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I sort of, um, <clears throat> part of me is thinking, do they? <laughs> but there is that, you know, they are, they are rusty in the first few games of a new season, aren't they? I mean, you know, we've seen that ourselves. Uh, so I, I don't know what they, you know, what sort of practice they need. They are obviously, they've all got home gyms. They've all got like spin bikes yeah. in their basements and stuff, haven't they? They'll all have, you know, full on home gyms. So you think when they start the games again, every time someone gets the ball, they'll just be doing keepy up until someone takes it off them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They'll, they'll, they'll have forgotten how to play nicely with others. <laughs> just be running around. They'll, they'll be wondering why there aren't cones out on the pitch. Yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, but um, when we do start again, I think we are sort of, uh, we're only off the bottom on goal difference, aren't we? Uh, we're, the same, we're the same points as the teams. Yeah, in, you know. but only on goal difference, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it? I mean, a, a lot of teams will, I mean, Bournemouth, b- b- part of the reason they were playing so badly is that their entire uh, team was injured and now all of their players are going to be uh, fit again, presumably. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's going to be, you know, quite a level playing field and our, our uh, the advantage that we thought we were going to have in that that run-in of games seemed like it might be sort of favourable to us, that might not be the case anymore. Yeah, I think it's all up in there, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, so, so much can seem to change between, you know, the end of one season and the beginning of the next anyway. It'll be yeah. like a new season and, mm. uh, you know, suddenly... Yeah, as you say, different levels of fitness and form come into it. You know, um, it, it's uh, there's going to be no continuity with what's gone before. It's like a you know, like a start again. On that basis, on the face of it, on paper, we have got a reasonable set of fixtures, I suppose. But um, yeah, to know. It's, well, how's that going to work then? I mean, lottery. You can't play all those fixtures before the end of the season, which is like in a couple of weeks. Well, and then you're going to. The next season well, starting in August. So because the Euros aren't on, they'll feel they can probably play throughout yeah. the summer. And yeah, but then they've they got a well season starting in August. Back. So yeah, they might put it back. They might they might start the next season later. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they might be able to, you know, play a little more frequently, have some more midweek games, and uh, play in, you know, start in mid June and finish late July and then start the new season in September rather than August, you know, I mean, they've had a long rest while they've, you know, <laughs> while they've been in isolation, they've had a long rest. I mean, they're only going to come back and play how many games have they got to go? 10, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. My, my worst fear is that they, they'll sort of work out that they can't finish it all. They'll want to play enough games for Liverpool to get their two wins so that they've won the, one that, so they can actually hand the title to someone, and then they'll come up with some kind of, um, you know, um, weird algorithmic kind of um, formula for, um, you know, like they'll, they'll, they'll form a kind of brain trust with Henry Winter as the expert, <laughs> yeah. and they'll come up, and you just know that in that kind of, kind of, kind of throwing it all up and working out 
proportionately who might have done, you know, like the like the pools panel, you know. Uh, yeah. Everyone will decide West Ham will, would go down. Yeah. Be because direct, that, because you need West to come Ham. up with a formula for the end of the season, the end result of which is that West Ham get relegated. That would be the, you know. Yeah, that would be part of the aim of the thing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I dread that idea. I think that's that. That would be so. You know, that would be in a way more unsatisfaction than just saying, "Well, let's just write this this one off mm. and um, start go again." You know, which I think is still a possibility. Well, we you don't know, do you? Unfortunately, I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where you see so so many other. You know, football is over the pyramid system. You know, the lower leagues have called it off now, and, um, and obviously the Scottish lower leagues and stuff. And there's still debate, yeah. obviously, the in terms of in terms of Celtic winning the league and stuff. But you know, they're having you know, discussions now whether they're going to go with a 14 league team, and everyone has to move up one. Um, you know, whatever happens, there's going to be, um, you know, if they unless they play every game, there's going to be very similar to the Sheffield United sort of debacle yes. where there was, there'll be everyone suing everyone and exactly. it will all happen again. So um, they, there's no way they have, they have to play all the games. And if it means that then the next seat, the sort of close season is, you know, two weeks off and they start again, as, as Phil says, they've already had you know six weeks off now. So that's almost a preseason, you know, it's almost the, the close season anyway. So um, yeah. I don't think anyone knows really. I think everyone's sort of watching everyone else, um, all the other leagues, to see what they're going to decide and say. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that one. Yeah, I can see them doing some kind of uh, quite intensive sort of closed door sort of uh, tournament. They might. <clears throat> there was a little talk of sort of finding four locations or something, or or like you know six locations. Um, isolating the players and playing all of them in those four locations yeah. like you know the euros or something like that you know and um, making it essentially for tv yeah yeah well that would solve the problem with the various contracts that they've got with the tv broadcasters wouldn't it? i suppose yeah yeah not very satisfactory though is it sort of no. not kind of the moral heart of the game uh, to have this thing that's basically just for telly. <laughs> and those games, they're really weird when they're played in big echoey stadiums. With no, I remember what, um, watching on the telly that, that that game we played. Well, there was crowd trouble in the um, Cup Winners' Cup. We ended up playing Real Madrid reserves. Didn't we remember? In the, uh, we in an empty Upton Park. It's really weird watching the video of that. You know, the kind of shouts of the players echoing around this empty yeah. stadium. It just doesn't feel right, you know. No, it must be. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. We need our fans to get behind us, you know, for these closing games. They could pipe. They could pipe in some audio. Yeah. Mm, I know a man who does. He can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is, is it the um, is it the it's one of the German teams they've paid for your you know if you're a fan you can pay for your cardboard cutout to be put in the stand and so um, so you know <laughs> so if, I don't know twenty euros or whatever you get your your cardboard cutout in the stand so when they go back to playing empty empty stadiums at least there's you know your face, so to speak. And, uh, they, could, they could do it on Zoom and have <laughs> 50,000 people on the big, on the big screen. <laughs> big screen, the gallery mode, yeah. Both ends. 
put two more along the side as well in the long stands and uh, have it in front of an audience watching it on Zoom and uh, uh, amplify their cheering. That could, yeah. be, that could be the way. Like a massive, uh, massive aerobics class. Uh, that'd be very good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, so here we are still in our holding pattern, still wondering uh, what exactly is going to happen. Um, yeah. Um, and that might be the sad note that we uh, we leave you on with this uh, stop hammer time. Um, speaking of which, Russ, you've got a very uh, quite a sophisticated looking home audio setup there. Well, I, I, I bought a mic. <laughs> yeah, I bought a mic. Um no, as I said, you know, it's it's um, yes, trying to try something a bit new. Obviously, with yeah. COVID nineteen, everyone's getting a bit creative. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing a, a YouTube se- series soon, um, okay. interviewing uh, all of you as well. Hopefully, yeah. um, finding out about your um, your Hammers Eleven. Um, so, you know, oh yeah, great, yeah. So, oh, yeah. About, so it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, I think we did, I think that it was up in the club actually, about 2003 did one, and they polled 500 fans to say who were their favourite West Ham players, their dream team. And obviously, you had Jersey Centre, you had your Phil Parks and Bobby Moore and Trevor Brookin. I never saw any of these guys play. Um, So, you know, I could say Smasia Boo or, or Kevin you know kevin nolan or keith Rowland. you know so it's we're going to interview lots of people all the way across the world lots of different ages and find out their hammers 11 not just their best players it could be um the the players as as steve suggested you shouted at most as as you know as a kid (laughs) or um you know your foreign 11 your foreign hammers 11 or your only played 10 games for us 11 you know so it should be really good fun but it means Yeah, yeah So, uh, um, yes, an appeal to all West Ham fans. Um, We're going to be starting that project very soon. Good. Uh, It sounds really good, yeah. Watching that sort of uh, quite a few hours of uh, that 89 season, we had three players who had great shots from outside the box in uh, Martin Allen, Julian Dix and Slater. Uh, it's, it's loads of like 20 yard, 25 yard pile drivers just going in all the time. And you're just wondering where those players have gone. Yeah. They don't put anything on them either. They don't, there's no bend on them. They don't, they don't know. They are, they don't rise above like chess level and they just go in like a fucking rocket. And, uh, I- why doesn't anyone I, do that anymore? I, well, I think football technology has the actual balls themselves, are, are, I think, are sort of slightly kind of light and whatever. And, and um, I think a lot of modern football tactics are around not, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of statistical analysis that says, I mean, under Allardyce, he, he more or less banned people from shooting. Yeah, yeah. Because he's still, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. You, you want to shoot to, to goal. Yeah, yeah. You know, proportionately more goals are scored from inside the six yard box or something. And, you know, I, I yeah, I was struck by just how many 25, 30 yarders used to go flying in. Yeah, Slater. Seen. Slater has a go all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Martin wasn't he? Allen, you're right. He, he was a God, big What digger. a shot he had. Yeah. He's a great player, Martin Allen, great player. Uh, apart from, you know, a few from Scotty Parker, that one from Obiang at Spurs a couple of years ago. They, yeah. They aren't, you're hard pushed to think No, of. it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Antonio, um, um, 
But there was Tevez against West Ham. Outside the box for Forest. Sorry, what's that, Steve? There was Tevez against West Ham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we certainly had a few against us, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, didn't, Ro- didn't Rooney and Beckham both lob the keeper for Man U? Yes. Yeah. And halfway line lobbing the keeper. Yeah, but the yeah. Rooney one should have been disallowed because he fouled Tompkins before he. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Really yeah. blatantly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And how's our Zoom classes going for you in uh, Pacificus, D? Are you oh. enjoying it? Yeah, I, I actually am. I'm quite happy doing this because um, got, attendance has been really good. And then I've got a lot of time during the day and I've been going through my old archives. Uh, I spent the last few weeks working on a style council book um, that someone's doing and I'm supplying a lot of pictures for it. So I've been oh, great. rediscovering lots of old Red Wedge pictures as well. Yeah, because, I saw those that you uh, put up on Facebook. Yeah, there's some great pictures there. Yeah, I've got, I've got so many. I found a fantastic one this morning because... I put a picture on Twitter and then Billy Bragg retweeted it and then Gary Kemp retweeted it because he was in a picture with Billy Bragg. Right. And he was reminiscing about the Manchester gig, the Red Wedge gig in 86, which was at the Apollo. And um, Johnny Marr played on that gig and um, he said, there's no video, but um, they were on stage at one point. Weller, Johnny Marr, Gary Kemp from Spanner Ballet and Billy, they were all playing guitar on stage. And I, I found a picture of it this morning, scanned it. And, and tweeted it on Facebook. So there's Junior Discom there and Jimmy Somerville from the Communards. And, and, but everyone's spaced out so you can actually see everyone as well. There's Weller over here and uh, Johnny Mars in the back, but you can see him. Billy's up on the left. And um, just really been fun going through all those uh, old pictures because that was a pretty special time. And actually, some of those pictures I haven't printed any yet. Right at the side of the stage, you can see Tim Ross. He's just. Oh, wow. he's, Standing on the side of the stage, and he's clearly like encroaching, like when Decanio was manager. Yeah. Boy, get back in the shadows over there. He's like, oh, yeah, just give yeah. me a guitar, give me, give me a, give me a tambourine, give me something to bang. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. is is he a West Ham fan? I don't know. No idea. You'd have thought we'd have heard if he was, wouldn't you? You would, you would think so. But you know, he played um, the lead role in an American show called Lie to Me. Uh, I didn't know that, but. And, and in the show, so he has his own company. He's in New York, and he has his own company, and he can detect lying. So they have all this technology, and that he gets hired when people need to find out if someone lying about something. Yeah. And he's a West Ham fan, and he, he comes back at one point, and he goes back to London, he comes back in a West Ham scarf, and he's at the airport, and um, someone asks him how West Ham got, and he said, oh, yeah, it's great, they won 4-3. Right, right. That's <laughs> oh, wonderful <laughs> fiction. The world of fiction is great because you get all the results you, you like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I did a uh, a gig once with one half of the show was an impro show and the other half was Billy Bragg and it was in Glasgow and it was in um, uh, a sort of a church hall as a sort of outreach thing to kind of like slightly, you know, uh, less well-off areas of Glasgow. I think this was Easter House. And um, at the time, Billy, Char- Billy Bragg was at number one in the charts because there was a double A-side single of <coughs> Beatles cover. And the A side was wet, wet, wet doing uh, with a little bit of help, with a little help from my friends. And the B side of it was She's Leaving Home by Billy Bragg. He was at number one in the charts and uh, the audience was six, six children. For this, for this thing, <laughs> on a sort of wet Wednesday afternoon. My class earlier, I was just listening to that. She's Leaving Home. Uh, the Beatles version or his version? The Billy Bragg version. Oh, right. Wow. 
How funny. <clears throat> so, so quick Billy Bragg story. Uh, I was in, a long, long time ago when I was talking about 83, I was in New York staying at the uh, Hotel Iroquois and there was a diner on the corner with my old mate Johnny Waller who died a long, long time ago, sadly. And we went in there for breakfast and we saw Billy Bragg and um, Pete Jenner, his manager, and um, I can't remember the guy's name, he used to run Go, uh, Go Disc Records. Oh, yeah. So me and Johnny looked at each other, we said, yeah, let's do this. So we walked over to them, we just started singing, I Forever Blowing Bubbles, because we knew that Billy was a West Ham fan. I'd never met him before. And um, we, came, we became good mates over that. Got some great pictures over there in New York and um, took pictures of him dozens of times since then. Uh, the time I met you in San Francisco, my sketch group had just done a show and you came into the dressing room singing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, it's basically, has that replaced hello for how you greet people now? <laughs> you can't you can't fist bump or anything so that's probably the best thing you that's, can do yeah, to yeah. identify yourselves yeah like bird song that's like how <laughs> birds greet each other in the mornings by singing did anyone ever do this before tevis started doing it i don't remember this when i was no, a kid when i was, I was thinking about across, the other day no i can't remember hammers. no no mm. I think there I mean, are photographs of people doing it from from further further ago but he certainly kind of you know, in the modern era, kind of brought it, brought it back. Didn't yeah, it? brought it back, didn't he? And did yeah. it as a Man United player, of course. At the, he did. Uh, scored that goal, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 That power driver. Didn't he do yeah. this? He scored the power driver. Well, he played a couple of times, didn't he? I mean, there was one. There was one game where he had to be taken off because he was so shit. Maybe he'd scored that goal and then fell apart, but he he. He really didn't play very well for them, for us. And I think it was a little bit because his heart wasn't in it. Because he, he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to humiliate us. Um, well, maybe we should wrap this up at this point, gentlemen. Uh, this has been very uh, uh, pleasurable. Uh, our first uh, uh, international uh, stop hammer time uh, under lockdown. Uh, so that's very good. Good president to get going. And yeah, it'd be great, um, Russ, to hear about your uh, 11 greatest hammers thing. I think you have posted on the Facebook page about it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll do it a few more times. And uh, yeah. I said, uh, got a good got a good response already. But um, obviously, sounds really else, good. Brilliant. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm Paul Whelans. With me have been uh, uh, Jim Grant. Uh, uh, it's uh, Russ Bennett and uh, Steve Rapport. And if I can just say before we go, because I'm not allowed to say this on the BBC, um, fuck Trump. Yes. <laughs> well done. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, every day. Yep. Thanks for that. <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. Talk to you later. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Bye. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.